This audio recording is produced by Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous, also known as FA. FA is a program based on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is free and open to anyone who wants to stop eating addictively. The following is one FA member's story of recovery. The opinions expressed here are those of the individual member and do not represent FA as a whole. If you are new or uncertain about FA, we encourage you to listen to several stories to gain an understanding of what the program offers. For information on the FA program, please visit our website, foodaddicts.org. I came into FA in the program in 2006. I was 23 years old, and I was weighing 164.5-ish pounds. I know it was a point something, and this program has taught me how to be honest and to be accurate. And I currently am about 40, 40-ish, 5 and, you know, kind of in between that uh, 40 pounds lighter than, than that weight. And I maintain a consistent weight loss. And that is an absolute miracle. I'll share about why that number was so jarring for me when I was standing on the scale. When I first came in a program, I was, I weighed with my shoes off, which was a really big deal. Weighing with my shoes off was vulnerable and it was real. And, uh, all the way up until that point, I always weighed with my shoes on because I would always tell myself that whatever I saw on the scale wasn't the actual weight because my shoes were on. And so when I would see the number, I would say, well, at least my shoes are on. You know, it's not actually what I weigh. And so um, that was really challenging for me when I started to understand that my food addiction had gotten out of control and I was not able to uh, be able to be the weight that I, I really desired to be. So uh, like I mentioned, I was uh, 23 when I came in. I'm 39 now. I've had a lot of life in recovery, and I'm so grateful that I've been able to do this life of my adult years with recovery and with program around me. So I grew up here in Colorado, and I have a brother who is a couple years older than I, and I looked up to him and wanted to be his best friend, but he did not want to be mine. And so that's really from the very beginning of my ex- memories were just chasing after him to want me uh, to be in his life. And I was kind of like the little sister, puppy dog sister that would just bounce around, kind of pick me, pick me. I want to hang out with you. I want to hang out with you. And and I didn't feel good enough because he, he didn't want to hang out with me. And in school, in elementary school, I remember feeling dumb and stupid and not good enough. And I couldn't say my R's very well. And that was really challenging for me when we were reading out loud and I would get sweaty palms and I didn't want to stand in front of a room and speak and just really anxious. And I just didn't feel good enough. And I didn't feel good enough with my peers. I didn't feel like I fit in ever. And so I had social anxiety in elementary school when there was recess time or any unstructured time, I would get a pit in my stomach and a stomach ache and I'd want to go to the nurse and just isolate from my, my fears, my anxieties, my feelings of what if they reject me? What if I'm not good enough? What if I'm not chosen to play a certain uh, recess game? And so I recognized from a young age, I, ha- I was full of fear, doubt, and insecurity. And I, I do recall very vividly looking forward to lunchtime. My mom 
packed my lunch for me every day. And there was home baked goods in that lunch that brought me comfort at lunchtime uh, in the middle of that anxiety that I just mentioned. And then, oh, I take such a deep breath when I got home from school and I could have respite in my house with my mom and she'd be making dinner typically or uh, we would watch Days of Our Lives together and we would have an after-school snack. And I remember just sitting on the couch eating that after-school snack with her and just connecting with those characters on Days of Our Lives and feeling like that was my social outlet. And my mom was very... um, very much connected to food and in certain seasons of her life. And so I saw her through her cycles of ups and downs and, and whatnot. And, and so my snacks kind of mimicked whatever was in the, the kitchen. And, and so some days there were drawer, a drawer full of yummy snacks. And some days it was full of um, dieting snacks. And so I started to ride a little bit of that roller coaster with her, but I was a very active child. I was in a lot of sports and I would coin myself as an athlete and a, a theatrical person. And so I was always doing something. And so I had a very full, full schedule, full days. And so I didn't wear my weight on, on me, my addiction on me in, in the form of weight. I, I really wore it in my, my head and just the obsession. And I started at a young age about body image and my brother got again, a couple years older. And so he and his friends would talk about girls in a way that I would pick up on starting to see that, oh, that's the way that girls are supposed to be. Oh, that's how bodies are supposed to look. And so I started working out and the age of fifth grade is when I re- really remember it. And definitely sixth grade. And then into middle school, seventh and eighth grade, I began this back and forth and love hate relationship with exercise and exercise was there to release some of the anxiety and stress that I was feeling, but it was also there to curb a lot of the way that I was eating and I could eat neat, neat, meat, and have all of these different handfuls of different foods all day long when I was feeling anxious or was feeling insecure, knowing that I was going to be working out or that I was going to be going to a sport um, and practicing or playing in a game and I, like I mentioned, I was very, very active in a lot of things. And so that also pinged into to my personality of always having something to do, very busy person. And so I just felt very insecure in my quietness and just being alone and, and just being with myself. I didn't feel like I was good enough or that that was really what was appropriate for me at the time. I thought that I had to be busy and that I had to fill my, my life with things to essentially not sit with the the feelings of insecurity. And so the eating, the busy, the working out, we had a treadmill in the basement of the house that we were living in at that time. And I would run on that treadmill and I would look at the calorie counter and wait for that calorie counter to get to a certain number to know that I was okay. And if I didn't hit that number, I wasn't okay. And if I went over that number, it meant that I could go celebrate upstairs in the kitchen with more food because I had just earned back a little bit of space in the calories of my life. And so I now know it's called exercise bulimia, but I didn't know it at the time. And I carried that behavior with me all the way up until I joined program. And so that was, that was middle school 
into high school. In high school, I started being very active in my sport, which was volleyball. And I played year round volleyball. So I was practicing late nights, long practices during the days and the week, and then also on weekends doing tournaments. And so I, again, just buried myself into activities and no one knew that I had these insecurities. I put on such a front and such a smiley face and everything's great. And I'd walk into a room and I would know everybody and want to say, hello, how are you? What's going on? And just very, very energetic and positive. And on the inside, just feeling like, oh my gosh, if they only knew, if they could only understand what I am really feeling in this moment. And so in high school, I felt more of that insecurity Definitely felt like I was the the ugly duckling, you know, the fish out of water, just did not feel like I fit in. And I'd never really had a place with a group of friends. I was too scared to have a friend group. I felt like if I really committed myself to one group of friends, then I opened myself up to the vulnerability of being rejected by that friend group and then not having anybody at all. And so I was that quote unquote social butterfly. And I just kind of flitted and fl- around every different group around me and was friends with a lot of people. And that was my protective mechanism so that I wasn't ever hurt, so that I didn't stay in one place long enough for them to really know me and to reject me was my fear. So I was, quote unquote, very social and outgoing is what most people see me as. But I have a lot of fear, doubt and insecurity on the inside. And I also have a dynamic within my parents that my dad was is very outgoing and very social and, um, you know, very well known in the society that I grew up in. And my mom was very much of the of the opposite and did not really care about labels or what car I drove or if I had the latest fashions. And so I had this back and forth of who am I? Where do I fit in? Do I am I more like my dad? Am I more like my mom? How do I how do I find myself? What's my identity? Where do I find my worth? Is it in school? Is it in athletics? Is it in my appearance? Is it in my what my last name is? You know, I was always looking to be filled with, you know, the blank, you know, my first name and the blank. Am I the athlete? Am I the cool one? Am I the popular one? Am I the homebody? I just, I couldn't ever find my identity. And I felt very insecure in that. And I took that to college. In college, I went to Southern California. I played volleyball for the school that I went for went to in, in California, and I lived at the beach. And so I was in either a swimsuit a lot of the time, or I was in spandex at volleyball practice. So a lot of my body was being shown off to the world around me. And so I continued to work out in order for people to see a good image of me. But I also continued to eat because there's free food in college, and I was full of financial insecurity. And I wanted to make sure that I got the food that I needed because I was very scared if I of the feeling of not having enough food. And so I would take food out of the cafeteria and to-go boxes, and I would take them to class with me just in case I got hungry in between breakfast and lunch, lunch and dinner. And inevitably, I would eat it during that class because I was bored or I felt like I didn't know what they were talking about in the lectures. And so I would eat, not because I was hungry. And I would leave that one o'clock class 
that I had eaten lunch, gone to one o'clock class, eaten the snacks at the to-go box and thrown it away and felt so gross in my stomach for eating and eating and eating that I would go work out and I'd work out and work out and I'd go for jogs and I felt so gross in my body and bloated and um, felt like my clothes didn't fit very well. And so I was dating a, a guy at the time and I remember distinctly saying, I don't know how you can love me. I don't even love me get away. Why are you even touching me? Don't touch my body. And so he didn't know who he was going to be showing up to when I opened the door to hang out with him. And was I going to be the cheery, good, feeling good person? Or was I going to be the one who was going to bite his head off for anything that he did? Because I was feeling bad about myself because I couldn't keep things under control. I was also a big traveler in college. I did a lot of traveling and I was able to um, see a lot of different countries. I went on semester at sea. It's a ship that goes around the world in a hundred days. And it sounds really glamorous, but for somebody who's in her addiction, I ate, I ate in every country. I can tell you all the places that I ate, the different binge foods that I had. I took food on the ship with me from home because I wanted to be able to make sure I had my comfort foods. I wasn't sure what they were going to have in, in, the, the cafeterias or what was going to be available on a ship. And so I had all of these home baked foods with me that got all crumbled and crushed and everything going through the customs and, and whatnot, but I didn't care. I had it. I had my food and I not only ate through every country, but I also remember working out and, and going for runs in every country, most, most every country, because I felt so disgusting in my body. I, I did it on the ship too. Even on the days where there were really big swells and the ship would go up and the ship would go down. I remember being outside running, 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 because I felt so gross for how much food I would have been eating. And I could tell you all the things that I used to do, all the concoctions I would make. And so I also visited a friend in Italy at one point in my college years. And the food that we ate and how rich it was, I came back from that trip, I don't know how many pounds I had gained, just because I was in a different country. So why not make the most of it? And why not live and enjoy this country for all that it's worth, meaning all the food and all the sweets. So after I graduated from college, I went to South America to learn more about the, the Latin culture. And I ate my way through that as well. And not only that, but that's when I also started feeling really insecure around guys. I was dating another person at the time. I ended up engaging in behaviors that I look back and, and regret at times with other, with other people because I felt so alone. And I ended up cheating on my, my partner at the time and with another person when I was traveling in South America because I, I didn't feel comfortable being alone for that period of time. So that was really challenging for me to see that my character had really gotten to that point where I was engaging in those behaviors. And so after I returned from my travels, I moved to San Francisco and I just was hit with major financial insecurity, being on my own, no longer having any type of support around me and being a young professional trying to find my way. I didn't know how to budget. I didn't know how to make decisions around adult type activities such as health insurance plans. I didn't even know what to do around that. I felt very, very ill-equipped. And I 
just try to find my, a job. I was living with a, a roommate in a one bedroom apartment. We both had twin beds and we we're just trying to figure it out. And through the figuring it out, I would live on $10 a week and buy things at the grocery store that I could, that were going to last for long periods of time that could sit on the shelf for months and months and months. And I just ballooned up. I just got very, very overweight at the time for me. And so I started running at 5 a.m. every morning. And after going for a long run every morning, I would then walk to work. And then I would go to the gym after work. And I was the person at work that had the sweets bowl at my desk so that people could come by and say hello to me. And I was that person that would go to the gym and then go to the health food store next door and get healthy food, quote unquote, and felt like I could eat anything at that health food store because it was from a health food store not looking at the calories and not being mindful of actually how junky it, it was for me. And we had a corner store that was a couple of, of doors down from where my first apartment was. And I remember when I first moved into the neighborhood, I baked him goods to welcome myself to the neighborhood. I felt that that was the neighborly thing to do was was to bake. And that was something that really hit me when I was in recovery was how much I baked and made food for other people in order for them to like me. And, in order, and to, that's how I showed love and showed that I cared and that I was thinking of them was through food. And so coming into recovery, I really had to learn a new way of sharing with others that I cared about them and buying them other things other than food or making them other things aside from food and being with them and, and being fully present in those relationships that's what shows love. So it was in San Francisco that I have a, now a fellow, she's a friend and a fellow. She was a friend at the time. And she ended up telling me about FA and I was so grateful that she did. It was in April of 2006. And she just let me know that she was going to try something different. I was currently on a different weight loss diet at the time. And thinking that that was going to work for me. And I reached back out to her after it wasn't working for me. And I said, okay, all right. Do you want to, do you want to tell me more about it? So she and I actually went on a ski, a day ski trip and I ended up just peppering her with questions the entire time and really wanting to know more about this FA program. And so finally she said, how about you come to a meeting? So I went to the Sunday morning Fort Mason meeting in San Francisco and I heard recovery and I was the person in the back who was so scared and my heart was pounding and I didn't want to be there. And I didn't want this to be what was going to be the solution for me. And so after that meeting, I went across the street to the Safeway and I bought my binge food and I just stuffed my face full of binge foods thinking, I do not want this. This is not what I want. I do not want to be a food addict. I'm 23 years old. What am I doing? Why do I have to be this way? And, and yet when I then went to my religious space after that, I sat quietly and said, I think this is what I need to be doing. At least I need to try it. And so I went to another meeting, which was at the hospital. And it was a Thursday night at the hospital in San Francisco. And I got a sponsor and I started this program and I was scared and I didn't know what I was doing. And I really didn't want to give up the food, but I did want to let go of the obsession the, the, the nutty, crazy behaviors that I was doing, I really wanted freedom from. And I would see all these people standing up in front of the room and they were happy and they were in a right size body. And I just thought, oh my gosh, I really do want that. 
how do I find that piece? So I started calling the sponsor. She and I spoke for seven months. I worked with that sponsor. She's the one that helped me to see that me training for the marathon at the time was probably not the most healthy for me in my early days of abstinence. I was losing weight really, really fast. I lost my weight in a very quick amount of time. And it was because I was training for this marathon and and it got to an unhealthy space for me. And she said, I'm not going to keep on adding on food for you to train for this marathon when you're this, you're this young, you're such a baby in this program. Can you just let go of training for this marathon? And I thought, I don't, I am not going to do this. You know, I, I do not, I'm not going to let go of this training for this marathon. This is what, this is my life. This is what I'm doing. Everyone knows I'm doing this. And we know my ego and my pride was really in that. But I talked to fellows, I talked to so many fellows about it. And I really heard what what the suggestion was. And I did, I let go. And that's, that is when I learned about my exercise bulimia, I stopped working out, because I needed to. And it was my decision to stop working out altogether. I stopped working out for about four months. It's the longest that I had gone without working out. There was times in, in college where doctors would tell me that I needed to stop because I had shin splints, but I, I didn't care. I just would work out through all the pain, but it, this was different. And I slept instead of working out. I slept. I took care of myself. I put my bedroom slippers on and I really pressed into this program and I started going to meetings and the in-person meetings that I was able to attend were just so, and so powerful for me. There was times where there was multiple people getting up, sharing my story over and over and over again. And I got to know such a great fellowship in the Bay Area. And I was very, very much committed to my recovery at that point. But I said that I had worked with that sponsor for seven months and and I had lied to her for the majority of that time that I, I was committing food, that I was not abstinent. And I knew it wasn't abstinent, but I didn't want to fully give up all my food. And I had all these concoctions that I was trying to justify. And so after seven months of working with her, fighting her suggestions, fighting being in this program, I told her that what I, where I had been dishonest, and I told her about everything that I had been dishonest about. So I started my, my abstinence over, and I started working with a new sponsor at the time. And I'm so grateful for that shift, because that's when I really had to ask myself, am I going to be in this recovery for me, or am I doing it for other people? And that was when I really hit home that this is, this is for me. And I attended grad school and I got my master's degree and I realized that I'm not dumb and stupid. It was that I was just in my addiction and I was able to really develop a relationship with my parents that is very beautiful. And then I was able to learn how to be an adult. I took the suggestion from my sponsor to not date for a while and it turned in that a while turned into seven years of not dating just based off of my own circumstances that I was going through at the time. And I'm so grateful for it. I ended up marrying a man that loves me and loves my program and am very, uh, as I mentioned, grateful that I took that suggestion because it took, it gave me the time that I needed to get to know me and really live this life of recovery and date and be with my girlfriends and friends and just get comfortable taking my Tupperware different places and, and being able to share openly that I don't drink and I don't eat flour and sugar. And there's just certain things that I, 
I, this makes me me. And I have no shame about that. I had a sponsor and she said to, to not be, not be so afraid of just being me and to have confidence in who I am and that, that this is a, a awesome lifestyle that I have. And I, I believe that today. And so I have been gifted with the opportunity to meet and marry a man who has never seen me eat addictively. Uh, at the time I told him that I most likely was not going to be able to have kids because of a lot of the exercise bulimia was done during my formative years of my body. And the doctors had mentioned that it would be a real challenge for me to have my own biological children. So I let him know that and that I would like to adopt and he was on board for that. And so we decided that we were going to try fertility for the first little bit before we entered into adoption. And so for about four and a half years, we went through a ton of fertility treatments and it ended in us doing IVF. And I feel like the daughter that we have today is by far a gift of me being in recovery. The doctors had told me the food plan I needed to eat, which is exactly our food plan. It's no flour, no sugar, no caffeine, no nicotines, no alcohol. And, um, and so I, I followed it. They, they said how much I needed to work out. I said, okay, sounds good. I had no balking at it whatsoever. I was able to fully show up for those treatments. And now we have a daughter today and I'm so, so grateful, gifted, true miracle. I feel from my higher power. And I tried for two years, uh, again, fertility treatments and IVF, IVF cycles. And for a second child. And we ended up having a miscarriage from our final embryo just a couple months ago. And it was by far the most devastation I've ever experienced in my entire life. And through the pregnancy of my daughter, I had the most challenging time being abstinent through uh, the morning sickness that lasted all day long for me. It was a very trying time for me to, to stay absent, stay close to my sponsor. And then when I miscarried, it was the same thing. I needed to stay so close to my sponsor and my fellows and just not eat no matter what and to continue to put one foot in front of the other and to weigh and measure my food and to show up to my programs, my disciplines, the tools. They have really saved me through a lot of life. And I'm very, very humbled by the fact that my disease really does want me back in the food. And I've had situations with my mom who she's currently, she's living with MS. And so, and she's also had breast cancer and I've had to become more of the caretaker role for her. And I've been through family members who have passed away and been to funerals. And, and I've also experienced the joys in life, as I've mentioned, being getting married and graduating from graduate school and having a daughter and different things that are, are highs and lows, but I'm still not eating no matter what. And I now am on the brink of, of something wonderful because I'm not eating today. And I don't know what that wonderful is, but God does. And I love that I get to just continue to show up to this program one day at a time, getting on my knees in the morning, asking God for an abstinent day, doing my tools and my disciplines, taking sponsee calls, talking to my sponsor, going to meetings, showing up to this program, picking up the phone, making phone calls, doing my writing. Journaling has become a really strong tool for me. Writing a gratitude list at night, writing my food down, 
And I'm just, I know that this program is something that is a framework that gives me some structure in my days, but it also is the vehicle that brings me to my higher power on a regular basis. And I'm so grateful that I am a food addict because by being a food addict, I have access to the spiritual life that I would not have had if I didn't need God in the way that I need him on a a daily basis. And so I just keep on showing up and seeing what God has for me each day. And parenting is challenging. It pushes new buttons that I didn't know were there. It brings out a lot of my insecurities as a person. So does marriage. And I know that there's just a lot of experience that I still get to have around how to be close to God and how to show up to this program, but really how to show up to my life and be of service to other people, be of service to my family and to those who are in this program. And that really is what my purpose on this earth is, is to help another food addict and just to continue to ask God for what his will is for me each moment of the day. And so I'm going to keep on coming back and I'm going to keep on seeing what God has for me each, each step of the way. My life I feel is a, is a real, um, real story of redemption, you know, being able to see my whole pathway as a lot of my will and what I want and the entitlement and how I want things to work out. And now it's a lot of let it go and see what happens. And when I feel that will come in where I just want to throw my body on the floor and throw a temper tantrum because I want what I want when I want it and I don't like it and I don't want to hear a recovery, I just have to ask God for help just to do the next right action and to do the things that are hard. And when I want to go left, pray, pray, pray that I can go right and know that when I go right, I can take a deep breath and say, okay, God, this is what you want me to do. This feels really uncomfortable, but I get to see what miracles come when I do that. And that this program does help me does help me to see the big miracles and the very little miracles. And the fact that I'm not eating addictively, that I am not jonesing to go on a run and go get a huge long workout in and hurt myself to the extent that I can then go eat again and numb myself out is a is absolute that is a miracle. And so I am just humbled that this program exists. I feel grateful for the people that have gone before me to create such an amazing program that works and it works when I work it. And I just pray that I can work it every day because my disease is out there in the parking lot doing push-ups, waiting for me to, to really slip up. And, um, and I don't want that. So thank you so much for letting me share and to be a part of this program. Thank you for listening to this audio recording. To hear additional recordings or to learn more about Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous, you can visit our website, foodaddicts.org.